0: week Terry covered four or five chapters which we're doing it this is a very fast-paced survey of first and second Samuel so there's a lot of material you obviously can't cover every single thing in the depth you'd like to but uh, David he covered an incident with David where he and his men ate the consecrated bread from the tabernacle Uh, Ahimelech the priest uh, gives it to them it's the bread that had been left over from the day's worship and, and around the tabernacle, it would have been thrown out anyway, but uh, again, they were prohibited, technically by the law of doing it. So in that case, uh, it seems like the practical overcomes the legal. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus calls that very incident to attention when he uh, talks in Matthew uh, Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 2, 23 through28. As he says that he and his disciples were walking through some grain fields and the disciples start breaking off the heads of grain and eating it and the Pharisees complain that they're breaking the law. And Jesus relates back to this very incident and says, well, didn't David eat the the bread? Uh, He broke the law by eating it, but he says here in summarizing, he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people the requirements of the Sabbath. So the, man, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, part of the Ten Commandments says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And it goes on to explain why. Why was that? In Exodus 20. What was the reason for keeping the Sabbath? Now you've got to remember back to your early Sunday school days. Come on. It says in in Exodus 20 that that, that God rested, and so you you need to remember God and the fact of His greatness. That He created the whole world in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. Now, interestingly, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, in Deuteronomy, it's easy for me to say, Deuteronomy, is a one volume retelling of all the law that's occurred in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. So Deuteronomy if you don't want to read four books, you can read Deuteronomy and get almost everything that's in those other four books in one book. And I was always a cliff notes kind of guy. <laughs> don't waste effort if you don't need to, right? Right, Will? Haven't I isn't that one of the things I've always taught the grandchildren? <laughs> don't don't make it hard on yourself, right? So t- just But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verses 12-15, uh, it talks about keeping the Sabbath, and it gives a different reason for keeping the Sabbath. And what was that reason? They were slaves. Remember, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt where you were slaves. So, another reason, not only God was great because He created the world, He's also great for saving you from slavery. Now, we observe the first day of the week. I don't know of anything that says, remember the first day of the week and keep it holy. But if you believe Terry Frisbee's theory, it's not a theory, it's your belief. That the Lord is the same in the Old Testament, as in the New Testament. And I happen to believe the same way that Terry does. That's why we chose each other to be co-teachers. <laughs> we do not want any controversy among us. <laughs> we only have a quarter. So there's no use being con- controversial among each other. But if, if you think the Lord is the same and this idea of Sabbath or rest is something God uh, gave the Israelites, what do you think about it today? Now we've periodically had some Sermons on this, because the first day of the week is just like any other day. When I was growing up, uh, there were things called the blue laws in Alabama. Uh, Most businesses could not open by law. Not just liquor stores, any stores. Uh, Little uh, gas stations, drug stores would typically open in the afternoon after church. Uh, so you could go to the pharmacy, you could get gas, a little uh, wayside, what would you call what you would call now 7/11s might be open. But that was about it. But what do you think about us? But as you think about the first thing, there is a principle here, I think, uh, not only of rest. Remember, in this culture, you were busy with physical, hard labor just to survive. I think about my grandfather, Dean. I didn't know my grandfather Todd. He died when I was about six or seven. I just, I don't, I I just, I faintly remember being, when he died, being in the house. A lot of people, it was cold in December. The house was just almost smothering, you know, these country houses with a wood stove and fireplaces. But I don't remember much about my grandfather Todd. But I do remember grandfather Dean farming 80 acres with a mule no mechanized equipment at all. He gets up at sunrise, he milks the cows, he feeds the mules, he, does, he comes back and eats breakfast, he goes to the fields, he comes back at lunch, he eats, he takes a nap, he goes back to the fields, he comes back to the barn, he milks again, does his chores, and he goes to bed. And you did that every day, because that was the way you survived. Now today, I mean, I worked hard and stressful, 10, 12 hours a day, most of the time. Five days a week, and most of the time a half a day on Saturday at least. But the idea on Sunday, I remember when I was given the responsibility of of, uh, scheduling all the people in our office, and it was back in those early days when I was uh, with the CPA firm, when you worked seven days a week starting in January through April 15th. And finally, I talked to the managing partner I said, what if we said, let's work harder Monday through Saturday and let's take Sunday off? And he sat there and said, well, we've always worked Sundays during tax season. I said, but what if, what if if we could produce the number of billable hours you're looking for in six days and take Sunday off? He said, let's give it a try. Because, I, I, number one, I didn't want to miss church back in my legalistic days, for, maybe for the wrong reason. But the idea of Sabbath, resting, focusing on something else, uh, is a very, very needful, I think, and can be very healing. And it is a time that we remember what God's done for us. Uh, I didn't come up with this, Will. You missed it. There's a character named Doeg. And he came up with Snoop Doegg. so I knew you'd look. So I, knew, I put that in there this morning because I knew you would look. But it's really Terry Frisbee. I didn't. It's not original, was it? But this guy Snoop Doegg, he's up here. He observes what David does eating the bread. So later on, he betrays Saul to. I mean, uh, uh, betrays David to Saul, and uh, re- becomes a real villain. <coughs> as he kills all the priests at Saul's command. I just threw this in, value of comparative reading. How many of you are still reading the same version of the Bible that you got at graduation back in high school? Well, good. Or at least you're not admitting it. I don't see any hand. But uh, in 21.7 it says, Doeg, the Edomite, was detained by the Lord. Several versions use the word detained by the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, I had no clue. You keep reading, if you look at different versions, finally one said he was there for a purification ceremony. Another one says he was there to fulfill a religious vow. And so that just brought to my mind a reminder. Put a little spice in your life. Read a new version. You know, if you can get there's a free version of the Holy Bible app on your iPhone, that has 20 or 30 different versions of the Bible. You can easily flip over and see what if you if you get to a verse that you're hung up on and say, what does that mean? Well, maybe one of the new modern language versions will help you figure what it does mean. Doeg is an Edomite. We've talked about family relations. And in the Bible, family relations get off to a tough start so often uh, between Jacob and Esau. Well, guess what? Doeg, Edomite, Edomites are are, are relatives of who? Esau. Esau. So, even though Esau and Jacob theoretically reconciled, the results of their estrangement carry over. Sometimes the, the relatives don't always get the message that reconciliation has occurred. So, Saul continues to try to kill David. Uh, David has several opportunities to kill Saul, and he doesn't, he spares him because David says, I refuse to kill God's anointed. And so from chapter 15, where David is anointed as the future king, and Saul proclaims, I mean, excuse me, Samuel proclaims to Saul that you're Kingdom has been taken away, a new person has been anointed. It takes about 15 years for all that to unfold. And you keep reading, thinking, when is the climax between David and Saul going to occur? Well, as we're going to study today, it it never does. The climax between those two, a climax occurs, but David doesn't have to kill him. All right, today we're going to look at David and his men taking refuge in Philistia. Saul and the medium. Why is it a medium instead of a well done? I don't know. David rejected by the Philistine command. (laughs) Will, the grandchildren sometimes laugh at my stuff like that, right? (laughs) I laugh. Yeah, thank you, Will. It's obligatory. David is rejected by the Philistine commanders. David takes vengeance. And finally, we are going to have the climax. Okay. Okay. Chapter 27. You have a, just an introduction to uh, uh, David getting away from Saul. You know, desperate times, sometimes called for desperate measures. an old saying. So David says, well, Saul keeps killing, uh, trying to kill me. Maybe I'll just get out of here. I'll go down to uh, Philistia to my old friend Achish. Now, there's a, just a brief incident back in chapter, I think it's 24 or 25, where David goes down to Gath and talks to Achish. And the, the Philistine people say, wait a minute, what's this, it, this Israelite doing here? He's, he's, he's the one that they say he kills thousands, or Saul kills thousands, and David kills tens of thousands. And and it just says David starts acting insane, foaming at the mouth, and so they let him get away. Remember, these chapters may not be in exactly chronological order, and so whether that incident is right about in here, we don't really know. But he goes down there with six hundred of his men, their families, the whole. They move in mass and go to Gath, where King Achish, uh, David says, I need to live here with you. I'll be, I'll be an ally. I'll help you. A few months later, he says, you know, on second thought, rather than staying here in Gath, the, the metropolitan area of, of, uh, of Gath, why don't you let us go down this little country town? Get out of your hair. We'll just be down here out of the way. But we'll be your ally. And he talks Achish into doing that. He's given the town of Ziklag. Ziklag. I wonder if this would be like kind of like Murfreesboro or... or uh, Who knows? But he goes to Ziklag and David and his men start conducting raids on the, it says, the the, uh, Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Now we've been introduced to the Amalekites already. That that was the reason for Saul's downfall. But these are traditional enemies of Judah. And he starts raiding them. it says he takes no prisoners. He kills everybody, brings back the plunder. And then when Achish, good old Achish, says, where have you been, what have you been doing? He tells him something different, doesn't he? He says, oh, I've been raiding southern Judah, maybe the Kenites. And so uh, Achish thinks one thing when actually David's doing something quite else. So. Achish believes David is devoted to him when in fact David is not. He's 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 helping Judah in actuality. Hilton, this is just a little bit off the thing, but all the men David had with him were underdogs. They were marginalized people who were not wanting anywhere nothing. Everybody hear that? Mm-hmm. The people with David were underdogs to fit in with today's sermon. Marginalized. So he took he took people who were not loyal to Saul but who were willing to take a chance and go with David, okay? Okay, Okay. I think that's all we want to say about that. Okay, chapter 28, Saul consults a medium. So we come to a a place in this chapter where the Philistines have gathered... Once again, seems like a never-ending, repeating story here in this book. That the Philistines are gathering to battle once more against Israel. And now you, it's the unfolding saga. It's been many years. Saul is still king. He's trying to fight to save his kingdom. He doesn't know what to do. And we go into this chapter. Uh, you have a quick introduction in verse 1 where uh, Achish tells David, okay, we're, gonna, we're going to... Uh, have this battle, and Achish says to David, you and your men are expected to join me in the battle. And David responds, now I ran the spell check last night and fixed that. <coughs> Apparently when I ran it, I didn't save my work. That's well, it's terrible, isn't it? Very well, now you owe, you owe, you owe you, We'll see for yourself what we can do. Okay? So then it leaves us, it leaves that scene, got the beginning of the battle, and we go back, flashback over to Saul. And so he sees the gathering of the Philistines, and panic sets in. He seeks advice from God, but he doesn't get it. Last week, Terry had the the one symbol of the the yes, no. You'd reach in a bag, pick out a stone. If it was one stone, it said yes, that's what you would do. And you trusted God to help you make that decision. Or it says he uh, asked for prayers or even prophets. But nothing works. And so, uh, Saul realizes that he's in a deep, situation. Samuel is now dead. So Saul to it says to his advisors, find a medium. What is a medium? Doesn't Fortune teller, a seer, a spiritist. And what was, the, situ- what was the, the situation with mediums in Israel? They were banished. Again, back in Leviticus, the detailed giving of the law You have a couple of verses that say, do not consult them. It doesn't say anything about their abilities, perhaps, to call up spirits. But God doesn't want them relying on somebody else that's not sent from Him. So don't rely on spirits. And it says even here in this chapter, Saul had banished them from Israel also. But now, traditional religion has failed him. He's not getting any answers from God. Uh, Walter Brueggemann in his commentary says, Saul's decision to seek help from a medium is a measure of his moral exhaustion, his despairing faith, his failed life. So in Leviticus 19 and also Leviticus 20, it talks about if any people among the people are unfaithful by consulting and following mediums or psychics, I will turn against them. I'll cut them off. So he goes to a medium, He's outlawed them already, so he, he, he disguises himself. So nobody will see it. And as he goes in, he finally says, I want, I want you to call up Samuel. And guess what? Grumpy, grouchy. Old Samuel comes back. And what's his what's his what what does he say? Why have, you me? Why have you disturbed me? I like I liked what that might imply. What what does that what does that tell you about what state Samuel is in? He he's at a state of peace and rest. Ken and I were talking about when you lose a a family member at such a young age. There are just no answers to that. You don't, no matter what the circumstances, be it illness, wreck, whatever. You do long, you know, you you would like to be peaceful and, and not be at this state of tension all the time about, well, you know, what's gonna happen with ISIS? Who's gonna be elected? You know why do I have to take one more plane ride? Uh, what what young people coming out of college? What what what's my career going to be? What will life be like in ten years? So Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? And so Saul says, well, what is it? What does he say? Interesting. Well, let me back up. Samuel says, why why do you ask me anything? And that 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 Hebrew. Uh, verb ask is the same name for Saul. Saul is the asker. And so what does he ask, what does he ask him? He says, I am in deep trouble. I'm in, I'm, I'm in a tight spot. When you're in a tight spot, you, you're reaching, you're grasping, you're Scratching, you're clawing, trying to come up with an answer. He says, I'm in deep trouble, why ask me? Samuel says, why ask me since the Lord's left you? So what Samuel is saying is, if the Lord's left you, why do you think I'm going to get involved in this? Do you, do you you think I'm a higher authority than God? And so Samuel goes into... A deep response. In chapter 28, verse 17. The Lord has done just as he said he would. He's taken the kingdom from you. He has given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this because you did not obey. His instructions concerning the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army over to Israel, uh, army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. And your sons will be here with me. You and your sons will be here with me. I find that maybe a little comforting too. (coughs) If it means that Saul and his sons will be there in a state of rest with him, or does it just mean you'll be here in a state of death? I choose to be optimistic that Saul was forgiven but he was just taken out of this position and made to get out of the way for God's new new anointed king. And notice here he tells Saul specifically, it's David. Back in chapter 15, it just says, it's been given to somebody else. Your kingdom's been given away and somebody's been anointed. It's not you. But here he says specifically, it's David. This is such a curious, so desperate, he's trying to hear an answer from the Lord, he can't get one by the conventional means he's chosen, he disguises himself and goes to seek a medium, to hear from a trusted advisor, he's trusted the past, a word from the Lord, it's, you know, it's a commentary on God's narrative coming through all those unusual circumstances, you know, that Mm -hmm. that God would come through a medium, right, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know that I have a philosophy or perspective on what that means, but it's just so unusual. Well, it, it is. I, I think, you know, even in times when you, um, sometimes you, you go through periods in your own life when you don't feel as spiritual as you do in other times. And I think it's comforting to be around people who are spiritual when you're struggling. And so he's he's reaching it because Samuel was the person who picked him out when he's out plowing anyway. He's he's the one. So I think it's kind of natural for him to go back to Samuel because he, you know, it's kind of like General Patton in that movie. Find me a chaplain. Write me a prayer. For good weather so I can get over here and save the 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 the, the uh, at Bastogne. And the next day when it clears up, he says, "Get me that." Chaplain, because he stands in good with the Lord. I want to decorate him. If somebody has shown the ability to talk to God, I want to be around them if, if, if I'm not getting through. So, Samuel's stark assessment. You're By tomorrow, you are going to be here with me. And then you have the pitiful scene. I mean, it's pitiful. Saul, prostrate on the ground, he's exhausted. Physically, he hasn't eaten all day. Mentally, spiritually, he is laid out on the ground. The medium, his advisors all try to get him up. She offers to cook a meal, which she finally does. They get him up off the ground, sit him up, he eats, and he goes away. So he has, tomorrow is it. You only have a few hours. So the final showdown's coming, but it's not between Saul and David. It's between Saul and the Philistines. Okay, so we had the brief introduction in chapter 28 uh, where Achish says, The battle's coming. David, you're expected to fight with us. So there, now, David and his 600 men are marching at the rear of Achish and his group. And suddenly, the other Philistine commanders look around and say, wait a second, wait a second. What are these Hebrews doing here? And if you were a Philistine commander, other than Achish, and you look around and see David and his men behind you, what might you think? Hmm, <laughs> this, this is not good. We're going to have the enemy in front of us. We're going to have the enemy behind us. I don't think that's a good idea. So, they say, what, now, what about the word Hebrews suddenly? Didn't say Israelites. What about the word Hebrews? What are these Hebrews doing here? Probably not a nice term. It's what the Egyptians used for the, when they were slaves. Like. They were probably derogatory. Yeah. Meant to be derogatory. You know, some say that, that Christians was a, not, not a good term when it was first started being used. Those Christians. So, but anyway, okay. So what are they doing here? Akish answers with nothing but... Pro- Wait a sec. he he's been my loyal subject. Well, Akish, if you really knew what David had been doing, you wouldn't be saying this. But he, he, uh, the commanders have a different assessment and finally Akish gets David aside and says, Look, if it were up to me, You could come and fight. I I really want you to. I would make you my bodyguard for life. But to satisfy all these other guys, you and your men better get up in the morning and leave before daylight and get out of here. And so that's what happens. And so his men, David, head back to Ziklag, chapter 30. Man, they've been gone three or four days. Lots happened back home while they've been gone. Chapter 30 says, they get back home, there's nothing but burning, smoldering em- embers, nothing left, all their wives, their children, their, their animals, everything's gone. Interestingly, in chapter 30 verse 6 says, David is greatly distressed, just like the same term that Saul used about being greatly distressed. He's in a tight spot. And why would that be? Sure men were very happy. Suddenly, all of his loyal subjects <laughs> say, wait a second, David, you've gotten us, we've lost our wives, our children, our animals. Uh, maybe it's time for us to get a new leader. Why don't we just stone you? Take you out. And so, uh, it's a very tight string. But David... Uh, they're upset. David does something that he does quite often and does quite well when he 's in a tight situation, he does ask God. And usually David's quite different than Saul back in back when Saul was told to kill all the Amal- Amalekites. Samuel says, "You did not listen because you didn't do exactly what God said. You did not listen. here. Samuel, once again, when he asks God, he does listen, doesn't he? He asks Abithar to bring the ephod. He asks God, should we go after the Amalekites? God says, yes. Yes, you should. Sally. I really like the, the end of verse 6, though, when it says they talk about stoning him. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Absolutely. Wonder- yeah, this is a great thought. And verse 8 says, Yahweh offers assurance. God tells them, yes, go after them. So they do. They go after them. Uh, They find, oh, interesting, they get to this brook or river or creek. They've been chasing after the Amalekites. They have 600 men. What happens at the brook or the river? What happens there? Hmm? 200 of them are too tired. They're exhausted. It's like half your sales team. They don't want to get out and make their calls. They're tired. So 200 stay behind. The 400 go on. They find the lone Egyptian. They go after the Amalekites. They kill, kill them. A few of them get away on camels. They recover all the wives, all the children. They get all the plunder, not only from Ziklag, but all the plunder that the Amalekites had taken. Oh, by the way, who are the Amalekites? Who are they related to? Esau, again, family dynamics, enemies. They get all the plunder. they come back to the brook where the 200 are waiting behind, and an interesting thing happens. When they get back, it says some of the troublemakers in David's 400 that went and battled and got all the plunder, some of them, will say, look, David, we got all this because we worked hard, we fought the battle, these 200 that stayed behind get nothing. Tell them to get on out of here. Give them their wives, their children, but they're getting none of the plunder. And what does David say? Call human resources. Call human resources. And what, and what, would, the modern, what would the modern human resources say? We are not discriminating. What we have here is called teamwork. Families don't do this sort of thing, you know. uh, John, you're doing a lot of athletic. When when Alabama wins another championship, who all gets a championship ring? Everybody. everybody. I didn't ask you. (laughs) I asked your asked your dad. (laughs) Everybody, even uh, the the trainers, the the assistant coaches, the front office, any anybody on the team gets a ring. Mm -hmm. But David says, David says, no, no, no. People stay behind and keep the equipment. People who go into battle. And so that's a principle that all of us have been in the business world try to to foster. In you building a teamwork, every role is important. Because you contribute some some of the effort. If the ball boys or ball girls are chasing and get them back to the players, that's part of the effort. They keep the equipment clean and ready so when you get to practice, it's ready to go. That's part of the effort. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Sharing the spoils. But once again, David is also seemingly, again, God didn't tell him to totally destroy the Amalekites, did he? He got to keep spoils. But the difference seems to be that David listened, and even when he didn't listen, the graceful, graceful treatment of David is because of his constant willingness to listen and turn. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the workers, remember? Uh, Jesus hired, uh, taught the parable where the, the guy goes out and hires workers at different times during the day. And he hires some late in the day. They work almost nothing, like two hours. And yet when it came time to pay them, Jesus gave everybody a full day's wages. And some of the ones that had worked all day complained. He said, wait a second. Do you not agree that I own this place and I can pay anybody I want to, whatever I do? Do you begrudge my generosity? One of the modern versions read in that chapter. Do you begrudge my generosity? Well, then there's one other little subtle theme there, and that is he, he acknowledges that it wasn't the plunder that was achieved by the forces. It was God's provision. It, yeah, right. Yeah, you really didn't win it anyway. Without God, we wouldn't have won the battle. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten there. So uh, quit fussing about it. It's really God's plunder anyway. Excellent point. Okay, uh, chapter 31 is only 13 verses. It's, it's really a tragic end. Not a lot of details about the battle. It just says it was fierce. Saul's sons are killed. He's mortally wounded by the Philistine archers. He's lying there in agony. He does not want to be humiliated by the Philistines. He begs his armor bearer to kill him. His armor bearer is frightened. He will not. And so Saul falls on his own sword. The Philistines come, start looking around the dead. They realize, here's the king and the sons. They cut off the heads. They take the bodies and nail them to the wall of the city. And heroically, heroically, uh, It says, the Jabesh-Gilead warriors from Israel traveled during the night, a clandestine raid, and took down the bodies, brought them back, burned the bodies and buried the bones under a, what was it, what kind of tree was it? Tamar's Tamar's tree. And so uh, they didn't leave the bodies to be there, humiliated, but retrieved them and gave them a decent burial. So chapter 31 ends 1 Samuel. We're, we're seven weeks into this study. Next week, 2 Samuel, and everything, all the spotlight is on David, both his good points, his blemishes, and the continuing drama within uh, Israel. And of course, when he's anointed king, it's not very smooth sailing, as Terry will talk to us about next week. Uh, but uh, anyway, these were... Interesting chapters, I hope you enjoyed reading them. Uh, next week is 2 uh, Samuel chapters 1 through 4. Read them a couple of times this week and ponder on some of the things that might seem unusual or interesting to you. If you haven't read them for years, it'll be a, an interesting uh, time for you, I hope. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Do remember the back story of Jabesh Gilead? Uh, yeah, sort of. Refresh my memory. Well, the heroism is right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's 11-1, Jabesh Gilead was being well, deceived like by the Ammonites. And he said, so "We'll put out the, the right eye of all your men. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Saul rescued them. Saul rescued them, yes. So they paid him back. That's they that. I should have I should have made that point. Remarkably, I mean, as bad as Saul got, the man of Jabesh Gilead loved him to the end. He's pretty good stuff. Great story. You doing good? Uh, yeah, doing good. I think. So. Now we're just waiting for Ben's birthday. Y'all are here for a party, a family party. Well, it's so good to have y'all here. You're doing great class. Thank you. It's a great class. Nice for nice being here. here. did awesome. I said I felt like I got a personalized lesson. Yeah, it was great. I was told that I was too old for Lynn too, but it was my father who told me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. John has to go to the airport now. Okay. okay. But the rest of us will. All right. Back. Safe travel. you okay. Uh it doesn't matter. I'll be thrown away. Just leave it there. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you. We're thinking about y'all a lot these days. Thank you. Just it, since you're an elder here, I, I do find this very interesting. There's just zero comment about Saul committing suicide. No comment, no made, no nothing comes from it. No condemnation, no nothing on there mm-hmm. at all. It's mm-hmm. just like he just he mm-hmm. just goes on. He's still honored. His men still, you know. Well, I just and, find that rather fascinating. And he uh, he reminded me too. Jabesh Gilead's the ones that Saul rescued earlier. In, yeah. yeah. On those kind of things because we argue that kind of well, we got uh, we we ran out of time. Yeah, I got carried away. I got carried away at the beginning. It's a good job, it's a good job, and there's so much in these, you know, the chapters.